So purpose. Everything that's created has a purpose. If, it, if it's invented, it's invented with purpose. For example, what are you all sitting in right now? Chair. And what is the purpose of a chair? For you to sit in. No, not to stand on, to change a light bulb or whatever else we come up with. That's not really safe. But a chair has a purpose, right? If you have a watch on, what's the purpose in your watch? To tell time. So you'll know when you're supposed to be, what time it is, and if you're going to be where you're supposed to be on time. This table serves the purpose, serves multiple purposes, but right now is holding my Bible, iPad, and a bottle. When you sit down in a chair, you trust that it's going to hold you because you trust that it's built and designed to accomplish its purpose. Everything. We could go around the room. We could talk about multiple things and talk about what the purpose is because the purpose is obvious because of what it's used to do. Well, that same idea that's true of so many different things is true of you and me as well. We were all designed with purpose. God created you with a purpose, and it is our should be our goal in life to know that purpose, to know our creator, and to know the purpose that he's given us, and then to fulfill that purpose in our lives. And we're going to look this morning about what it means, or we're going to look at what it means to live according to the purpose that God has for you. We're going to look in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. We'll look at 11, 12, and 13. Now, if you understand Jeremiah, if you're going to look at this passage, we, we know this was written to the nation of Israel. Uh, it is applied within its context to the nation of Israel, who is at the time in captivity. It is around 597 B.C., and they are in Babylon after the downfall of Judah. And what's happening here is that God is speaking through Jeremiah to his people to reassure them that he's not done with them. That he still has a purpose for them. He wants to communicate to them that God has not forgotten them. That he knows where they are and he has a purpose for them. So with that understanding, let's look at verses 10. We'll start at verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 29 and go through verse 13. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come to me. Come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So God has a purpose for the nation of Israel. They are in a tough spot. They are in captivity and they're probably wondering if there's a future for them. But, but God is reassuring them, yes, I do still have a future for you. And God has a purpose for the lives of all of his children. He created you with purpose. He wants to see you experience that purpose because that is what's best for your life, for my life. And we can discover how to live out that purpose by looking at just a few truths in these short verses and apply them to our lives, if we will take these actions that we're going to look at this morning in response to the truths that we see in this passage, it'll be a giant leap toward 
fulfilling and experiencing the purpose that God has for us. In order to live a life of purpose, what do we need to do? Well, number one, it's pretty simple. We need to seek God's plan. The concept is simple. Seeking God's plan daily can be challenging, can't it? And living out God's plan. But, but we first have to have a desire. We have to seek God's plan. God has a plan. For I know the plans that I have for you. There's no doubt God has a plan. He has a plan for his church. The church is the body of Christ. And, and Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the body of Christ is made up of many different members, parts, just like the human body, but they all work together to fulfill a purpose. All parts are different. Uh, you know, the hand isn't meant to do what the foot does, although you may have seen people walk on their hands, right? But it's not the way it should be. It's not normal. Uh, it may be entertaining. Uh, it may be amusing to watch someone do that, uh, it, but it's not, not intended to be that way. There, there are many different parts. We are all gifted differently, but God has placed us together and unified us with his Holy Spirit to accomplish his purpose. He has a plan. Just like the Israelites, these plans are to give us a hope and a future. He, he wants us to look to the future with confidence, to look to the future in anticipation, to look to eternity and to live our lives in the present with our eyes on eternity in light of eternity. It's a new, a new time, right? It's a new year, but it's also a new chapter here. We're sitting in newly renovated facilities, uh, which represents new opportunities. In our community, it's a new time. Right? We've got people moving in from all over. Uh, you know, as soon as a house goes on the market, it sells. I, I can't tell you how many houses in my neighborhood have sold just in the past uh, year. I mean, it, it's, it, there, there's new, all of these things representing new beginnings. But every day is a new beginning, isn't it? Every day we wake up, we have the opportunity to, in some way, hit the reset button. We, we can... We can take a step forward. We can live out the plan that God has for us. We can seek him today. We can submit to him today. It's a new era. It's a new beginning. But the truth is it's a new beginning every day. We all have mistakes in our past. We all have things that we've had to seek forgiveness for. But God is about restoring. God is about uh, creating new things and it is a new day for all of us. And so we should look at each day that way. Here's the challenge, though. When we are attempting to live out the plan that God has for us, whether that's on a personal level or a corporate level as a church, we have to have patience. That's one of those buzzwords that people tell you never to pray for, right? Don't pray for patience because God will teach you patience. And, and that is difficult because naturally we're not patient individuals. But if we're going to fulfill the plan that God has for us, we have to be patient. Because if God is working out his plan, that means he's not done yet, correct? We want things to be finished. We want things now. We don't want to wait for things. But the process of God making you what he wants you to be, making me what he wants me to be, making his church what he wants it to be, 
is a process. It is not something that will be completed overnight. And so the worst thing that we can do is grow impatient in the present and not be willing to wait on God to finish what he's doing. It's hard to be content. We have to be content with what God is doing in our lives, but it's hard to be content in our current situation because of the fact that what God is doing, he's not finished doing yet. He hasn't finished the work. So that can breed discontentment if we're not careful. But we have to be content. If God plans, if his plans are for hope and for a future, we have to give him time to work it out. Um, he's working with imperfect human beings that can be stubborn at times, right? So we have to give him time to work out his plan, and we have to cooperate. And that's why we as Christians live by faith. As Christians, we trust the promises of God for the future, but we do act on them in the present. And we'll talk a little more about that, but we, we have to have faith in the present. We have to live on the promises that God has given us about the future, even when we don't know all of the details of what that's going to be. We know his promises, but we don't know all the details of the future he has for us as individuals. Even as a church, we don't know all of what he has planned, but we do know him. We know he is faithful. We know he has promised that he has plans for hope for a future, and we can live in the present based on those promises that he's given us. The key to being content, if we're going to be content as God is working out his plan, is that we need to be faithful to the tasks that God has given us now as we wait for him to fulfill his plans in the future. We've got to be willing to do what we know God has called us to do. There are spiritual disciplines. There are things that we do individually that we should be faithful to do. Worship, studying his word, sharing our faith serving as a church there are things that we know we are to do uh, that, that we should be doing in the present as we wait for him to fulfill his plan for the future we in order to be content that the worst thing you can do if you're trying to be content is to sit around and worry about what the future is going to hold to worry about when God's going to reveal all of the details of his plan for you. The best thing you can do is to do what you know to do, because if you're busy serving the Lord, then he will reveal himself when the timing is right. So we have to be busy doing what God's called us to do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So we have to have faith. We have to believe that God has a plan. He's got a plan for each of us individually, for our families, and he has a plan for our church, for his church. God also had that plan, again, it, it's corporate. We talk about plans for the church, and we will, but we this plan is, is, is an individual plan, and it's important to understand God is a personal, relational God. Yes, he is holy, he is separate, he is righteous, but he is also relational, and he has a plan for you individually. He created you with intent. He created you with purpose. He, the, the people, Jeremiah is talking to the people of God as a whole here, but we can certainly apply this on an individual level. This, the Bible talks about uh, that in several areas, but we can apply this same principle. I know the plans that I have for you. We can apply that individually, plans to prosper. Psalm, David says this in Psalm 139, verse 13 through 18. He says, you, God, made all of the delicate parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. And, you know, when you think about it, very few things are more complex than the human body, right? He says, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. In other words, God, he created you, and he, he watched you as you were conceived in your, mother's, in your mother's womb. He saw that happening. He's the author of life, the creator of life. You watched me as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. God custom designed you because he had a place and a purpose and a plan for your life. Regardless of who you are, what your background is, where you come from. You, you, he oversaw, he created you. Jesus is the agent of creation. God oversaw that. And he created you because he wanted you. And he had a place in his plan, his kingdom work for you. He has a purpose. You wouldn't have been created if that were not the case. I want to tell you something that I've learned in a new way since we began the journey of adoption. As we adopted our youngest son into our family. And, and you know, Rick Warren talks about this in The Purpose Driven Life. I just want to read an excerpt of that. He says, you are not a mistake. Don't ever let any professor or parent or anyone else tell you that you're an accident. You are not an accident. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. God planned you. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. Really, it has nothing to do with whether they were good parents or bad parents or indifferent parents. Maybe you didn't even know your parents. Maybe one of your parents died before you came to know them. Maybe you were adopted or whatever. It's irrelevant, he says. Why did God choose your parents? Because they had just the right DNA to create you. He wanted you and he had you in mind. Whether they were good or bad people or whatever, he wanted you and created, he wanted you created, and they had the DNA to create you. There are illegitimate parents, but there are no illegitimate children. God had a plan. If you're here, it's because he wanted you here, and that is amazing. Maybe you're here today and you're doubting that. Maybe your background, maybe your your life growing up. Um, maybe you were adopted. But God created you with purpose. You are no mistake. God is intentional in everything that he does, and he was intentional in creating you. And we see if we look and if we follow Christ daily, we will see his intentionality in everything that he does. We, we may not understand it and see it in the moment, but we will eventually see what God is doing. I, I think about the many times, you know, not just in the journey of adoption, but in our marriage, in our life, where I've seen God's faithfulness come through, where we've taken steps of faith, and God has proved faithful. Um, I, I think early, about early in our marriage, when we moved uh, to finish seminary in New Orleans, uh, you know, it's raining outside, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a little, the weather's not great. Well, we went down to look for an apartment before we started school, before I started school that year. And uh, it just so happens that in New Orleans on that weekend, there was a tropical storm coming through. We would call realtors looking for apartments, and they would say, you know there's a tropical storm coming through, right? But we had no choice. We had to look, and we looked and looked and looked all weekend long. Uh, we, we, 
couldn't find an apartment that worked that we could afford. But we kept looking, we kept looking through the monsoon, we kept looking, and as we were just about to give up, uh, doubting the whole time, is this really what we're supposed to be doing? Are we really supposed to be moving into uh, New Orleans and, and starting this chapter of our lives? Well, the last day, we, we had one more apartment we were going to look at before we gave up and went home, and just so happens that that apartment worked out. It worked out perfectly. We moved to New Orleans, didn't know how we were going to make it. Um, you know, uh, we, our income was cut down, our expenses were doubled, uh, we didn't know how we were going to make it through the year. God provided throughout that whole process, and it just so happens that the first church that I pastored, I wouldn't have been there had I not been in New Orleans because it was in that area. God worked through that whole process. And so taking that step of faith, even the time that I spent there, serving with a pastor at First Baptist Kenner, doing an internship there, uh, it, that whole process, it's times like that that you look back on your life, and even in the moment we knew God was working, but even, even more looking back, you see see God placing certain people in certain things in your life at certain times, circumstances. If, if you will walk in faith, you will see God's plan unfold in front of you. There are times when tragedy hits, and I've talked a lot about us going through Hurricane Katrina and all of that. And I, one of the greatest things that happened as a result of that, though, is that there were many of our neighbors in our neighborhood that did not know the Lord. And we were able to, to organize mission teams to come and work on their houses and, and to provide supplies and materials free of charge. And, and I'll never forget, we were having a, a cookout one night. Uh, a couple of our neighbors uh, across the street, these two different teams, one was a team uh, I believe it was from one of our, either my home church or, or the church her dad was pastoring. But then there was also a team of Mennonites, a team of Southern Baptists and a team of Mennonites. Now, there's a lot of differences between those two, right? If you know anything about Mennonites. But I remember we were sitting around on a Saturday evening or Friday night, I can't remember, and we, they wanted the, our neighbors wanted to have a cookout for the mission teams. And here I'm standing there watching Mennonites and Southern Baptists sharing a meal, working together, common goal of sharing the love of Christ. Great differences, but yet we were fulfilling something that was bigger than ourselves. And I was reminded in a new way that God always has a plan. He doesn't cause tragedy, but even in the midst of difficult circumstances, if we will, if we will submit, if we will follow him, we will see his plan unfold. And usually... It's an amazing experience because God is an amazing God. And it's miraculous when we see him work in any way in our world. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In Christ we were chosen to be God's people because from the very beginning God had decided this in keeping with his plan. And he is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and what he wants. God is in complete control. And I don't know all the details about God's plan for your life. I don't know all the details about God's plan for this church. But I do know this. The plan that God has both for this church and for you individually, personally, is a perfect and eternal plan. It is bigger than anything in the present. It is for eternity. He is working toward eternity, and we have to maintain that perspective. Psalm thirty-three, eleven. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart... Through all generations. The truth is, 
None of us could think of a better plan for our lives than the plan that God has for us. So we should seek that plan relentlessly. We should pursue that plan relentlessly. In order to live with purpose, we should seek his plan. We should also accept his provision. God will provide. If God has a plan, if we seek his plan, if we follow him, if we're obedient, then he's going to provide for that plan. He's going to provide the resources to accomplish that plan. God never commands us to do something without giving us the resources to do it. Now, he may not give them the way we want or the resources that we want, but he will give his resources, his power, his strength to be able to do what he's called us to do. We, we may not know when those resources will come. And again, what those resources will be. But we can trust him. If he asks us to commit to his plan for our lives, then he will provide what we need to accomplish that plan that he's given us. We know that he will provide. We can trust him because he is faithful. And he has always been faithful and always will be faithful. He will provide spiritually as we fulfill the plan that God has for us. He'll provide the resources to actually accomplish the plan, and he'll provide spiritually what we need to be able to fulfill the plan. If we will look to him and submit to him, he will mold us and he will shape us into the image of his son further. In in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed, continually changed into the image of his son, into his glorious image. So how does he provide all of this? How does he provide resources? How does he provide spiritually as we seek to fulfill the plan that he's given us? Well, he provides through his power. The creator and the sustainer of the universe is at work in our lives. Think about that. The creator of the universe, the God who created it all and sustains it all, that same God is at work in your life. And he is living in and through you. His power, His strength, His spirit, His presence. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Not that we are adequate in and of ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. It's His strength. He gives us the ability and the gifts. Our adequacy is from God who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence when we come to Christ, when we accept salvation. When when He enters our lives, He inhabits us. He fills us. And with the Holy Spirit of God comes the presence, comes the power, and comes the ability that God has to fulfill His purpose. You know, Paul says that God provides according to the riches of His grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful it doesn't say out of the riches of his grace. Because that would be like a millionaire putting a dollar in the offering plate. That's out of the riches of his grace, right? It says according to or in proportion to the riches of his grace. And you cannot measure the richness of God's grace or his provisions. He says, I will provide according to the riches of my grace what you need I will provide, and he will provide. And we're going to need his provision if we're going to fulfill the plans that he has for us. If we're going to live with purpose, we need his provisions, and he will provide. You also, We will also need to learn to rely on his protection. God will protect during the course of fulfilling his plan. 
If you are still on her, here on earth, God has a purpose for you, and he will protect you until that purpose is complete, and he will call you home. And he's got a purpose, and he's going to provide. He's going to protect. Part of the confidence that we have comes from knowing that God is in control and that he is protecting us every step of the way as we walk in him. As long as we are obedient, we submit to him, walk in his will, we are under his protection and under his authority. Think about what he promises to protect us from. He'll protect us from our enemy. Satan is the greatest enemy. He is the deceiver. He is God's enemy. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Why does he flee? Because God is more powerful than him. And if we submit ourselves before God, if we walk in faithfulness, God will protect us from the enemy. He'll also protect you from yourself. You know, one of the greatest obstacles that we have in fulfilling God's plan for our lives many times is ourselves. We, we get in the way. Our lack of faith. Or our unwillingness to do what God's called us to do. You think about Moses, excuse after excuse in Exodus 4, excuse after excuse after excuse, and, and God finally has enough. And Moses had to learn what we all need to learn is that if God calls you, he will equip you. And, and Moses was absolutely right, by the way. In and of himself, he was incapable of doing what God had called him to do. And you and I, in and of ourselves, are incapable of doing what God's called us to do individually and corporately. But he is capable. He will provide. He will give us what we need. And he'll protect us as we fulfill the plan that he gives us as long as we remain obedient. We can, we can come up with plenty of excuses as to why not to follow God. Why not to do what he's called us to do. But the truth is none of them are good enough. Just like Moses. I mean, God will endure and he will be patient with us. But ultimately we will run out of excuses and none of them will be sufficient because nothing is better than God's plan for you, his plan for me, his plan for us. He'll protect us, and he'll protect us from failure. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ. He will complete his work. As long as we remain faithful, he will f- finish the work that he started. Now, this is success not in terms of you know, financial success, worldly success, this is kingdom success. And sometimes that's harder to measure. You know, we're investing in people. We're investing in lives. We are waiting for God to fulfill his plan, which requires patience. It requires finding a way to be content in any and every circumstance like Paul did. But we're measuring ourselves, should measure ourselves, based on God's approval, well done, good and faithful servant, and not worldly standards. And so if we can look at life from an eternal perspective and even look at what we're doing from an eternal perspective and have that that proper view, then we will see that we are succeeding in what God's called us to do if we're remaining faithful. And, and we will have a longer view of life. We'll have a longer view of what we're, what we're doing, how we're serving. This is success on God's terms. Everything that God allows has a purpose. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we don't. But we still trust from day to day. Every step we take in obedience is a step toward forward in completing God completing his plan for us individually and corporately God will fulfill his purposes and being a part of that even just being a part of God fulfilling his purpose is success in and of itself we can measure our success by God's standards another requirement 
for living with purpose is that we need to be willing to participate in the plan. You know, seeking God, trusting Him to provide, trusting Him as He protects us, allowing Him to work in and through us. But then there, there are things that we have to do in this. You know, as individuals, as a church, as we seek God, as we follow His plan, He's going to ask us to take steps along the way. He, he gives us spiritual disciplines. He gives us acts of service, steps of faith that we have to take in order to fulfill his plan. He expects participation. He doesn't need our participation at all. He created the universe without any of our help, right? He doesn't need us. He sustains it without our help. But he uses us. He chooses to allow us to participate in his kingdom purposes, in his plan, which is a privilege, and we should view it that way. It's truly amazing that the God of the universe chooses to use us and, and is patient with us as we fail, as we fall down, and as he has to pick us back up, as he has to continue to mold and shape stubborn individuals. He's patient with us, and it's truly amazing that God would use us. He created us with free will. He created us with the ability to choose, and we must make an initial choice to become his disciples. We saw Amanda baptized. She made a decision to follow Christ. God does the work of salvation. He initiates salvation, but we truly, we have to respond. And then when we become followers of Christ, we have to make a choice each and every day to follow him. Not talking about being saved or not. You're saved, but you still have to make a choice. I still have to make a choice each and every day to follow Christ in my life. I have God gave me the ability to choose, and I have to make a choice to pursue him. And if we pursue him, we, we are taking one of those steps. That's one of the requirements if we're going to experience God's plan for our lives. It's taking a step and choosing to follow him, not just today, but today. And when I get up tomorrow, I'm going to follow him tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Each day submitting to him. We choose to follow him. So what's really required of that? Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, anyone who wants to come with me, this is Matthew's version of, we went through the Luke 9, 23 series. I believe we read it when we were in that series. He says, Jesus says, if anyone would choose to come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross and follow me. Forever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life, though, will save it. If he loses his life because of me, the Holman says, he will find it. We find true life in giving up our agenda, submitting our will, setting aside our desires, and following Christ. And in doing that, we, we find out what true life is. And if you'll recall through the series, the Luke 9.23 series, the common theme there was total submission. That's the theme. That's the requirement. Total submission each day. And it's not just total submission, it's daily submission. It's a daily process. We submit when we confess sin. We come under conviction by the Holy Spirit. We confess sin and we invite Christ into our lives to save us. And we experience salvation. That's submission. But then each day we have to submit to Him and to His will for our lives. It means we die to self each day and then we commit ourselves each day to his will, and to his plan for our lives. 
even when we don't understand it, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's difficult, we continue to pursue God, we continue to submit, and we continue to live in his power and strength each day. And we must remain obedient to the commitment that we've made to God. We submit, and then we continue in faithfulness. We remain obedient. And one of the most important aspects of this is prayer. Prayer on an individual basis. You know, praying daily, alone in your closet, your quiet place, but all through the day as we commune with God, walking in fellowship with God. Prayer on a corporate level. Uh, one of our emphasis last year was prayer, and I'm so thankful for our team that's prayed faithfully, our intercessory team, but as a church, you know, we've done prayer walks and we've done exercises, hopefully, to, uh, to increase fasting, to increase our dependence upon God, and to, to teach us new lessons about prayer and dependence and walking and fellowship and communion with God. But we, that's not just an emphasis for a year. That should be something that's a part of our daily habit. You know, walking in fellowship, praying, praying individually, praying corporately. The disciples recognized this, the importance of this, and we see this in the early ministry of the church. Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Devoting ourselves. They saw it in the life of Christ. They emulated that, and the church replicated it. And we should continue that, that process, that, that tradition, that discipline. Why is it the case? Why was that so important to them? Well, prayer is our direct connection to God. It is our communication. And without that connection, we will not receive his direction. I even rhyme that so you'll remember it. Without the connection, we're not going to receive direction. If we're not communicating with God, if we're not communing with him, if we're not seeking him and listening to him, in tune with him, that we will not receive the direction that he's given us. And without his direction, we're not going to know what to do individually as a church. But if, if, if we do have that connection, we will know what to do. If we don't know, it's impossible to remain faithful. If we don't have that relationship, that fellowship, the direction of God, we cannot remain faithful because we don't know what he's telling us to do. But if we do stay in connection, in communion with God, we will know his purpose his purpose, while we may not know all the details, we'll have clear instruction from him, and we can pursue that relentlessly. We can pursue that fearlessly. We can de- dedicate our lives to that. You know, I, I read this, this little snippet of history. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration of Independence. We all, you may not have known the number, but you, we all know that took place, right? Hopefully you do. Their conviction, now think about it, their conviction resulted in untold sufferings for many people, for themselves and for their families. But I I discovered this. Of the 56 men, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two of them lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 men fought and died from wounds or hardships of the war. So they didn't just sign a document. They were committed. Wouldn't you agree? They counted the cost, and they dedicated their lives and their families' lives. They were willing to sacrifice everything for what they believed, for the purpose, the cause that they were fighting for. 
They were willing to give it up, everything, and, and some of them did. They gave the last full measure of devotion. So my question this morning, as we begin a new chapter, is do you have a purpose that you're willing to die for? Is there something, are you living for something that's worth dying for? And if not, then why? We should all have something that we are devoted to. And the only true thing is God's purpose for our lives. It is his plan for our lives. If we don't know that, then there are a couple of things maybe that, that let me suggest that you should do. One, if you don't know God's plan for your life, then it may be that you don't know him. And that today is the day you need to submit to him for the first time. That you need to invite him into your life and receive the salvation that only he offers. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, he offers you the opportunity to be free from sin and to live out the purpose that he's given you. Or maybe you are a follower of Christ and you don't know his plan for you because you're not walking in fellowship with him and obedience. Maybe, maybe this new beginning means a recommitment of your life to Christ. Yes, each day we commit anew, but maybe this is a radical commitment, a radical transformation, and you need to recommit yourself. But, but regardless of where you are, even if you know God's plan and you are attempting to fulfill God's plan and maybe you're struggling with contentment, you're struggling with, with what he's called you to do, and, and, and sometimes it's difficult, remain faithful, commit each day to remaining faithful and do the things that you know he's called you to do and continue in faithfulness. It won't always be easy, but you will fulfill his plan if you continue to follow him, to pursue him and submit to him. The bottom line, this is something I've learned in my life, and this isn't, I don't know, maybe it's profound, maybe it's not, you guys can judge. But I've learned something in all my years of being a believer, in my years of being in ministry, of being a pastor. You know what God wants from you more than anything else? It's pretty simple. He wants you to love him and to make yourself available to him. He wants you, now think about what all comes from that. But when, it, you, when you boil it down to its simplest form, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And when I say love, this is the meaning. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, your mind, everything. Everything that you are. When I say love him, love him with everything that you are and everything that you have. Submitting all. Dying to self, submitting to him. But then comes obedience, Right? And that's what I mean, make yourself available to him. And that simply is saying, God, I love you with everything that I am, everything that I have. Now you direct the course of my life. I'm, I'm yours. You show me what to do, and I'll do it. And then when he says it, it's not, okay, well, I didn't think about that, Lord. I don't think I want to do that. I didn't mean that. No, I mean truly, God, whatever you want, however you want to do it, this is what I'm going to do. Truly, truly. Now, it sounds simple. Living it out each day is difficult. But let me, let me tell you what's amazing about that. God can do miracles through individuals who will follow that. If I will love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and if I will truly make myself available to him, and all of that, what that means, in total submission, there is no end to what he can do through you as an individual and through us as a church committed to his purpose, committed to his will. 
I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan for us, and we should pursue it relentlessly. Now, you've heard when you wish upon a star. I'm not going to subject you guys to my singing again this soon, but y'all know it, right? If you're a Disney fan, you know it. Maybe some of you have wished upon a falling star. Has anybody ever done that? Seen a shooting star and made a wish? It's okay to admit, all right? Have you wished on birthday candles? Maybe that they wouldn't burn the house down as you get older, right? We've all, I saw a shooting star, at least I think it was the other day, but I didn't think fast enough to make a wish. I was like, hey, is that a shooting star? Because I couldn't see it real well. But we've all heard it, right? Now, if I've got something, when you wish, what are you doing? You're wanting something to happen, right? Plain and simple. You know, I wish for a million dollars or I wish for whatever. But does just wishing it make it happen? No, it absolutely does not. I can wish all I want, I can make a wish, but if I really want to achieve what I want, then there's some things I've got to do, right? There's some steps I've got to take. Now, I got Annie and Eli to cut out some stars for me last night to illustrate what I'm talking about here. Let's, let's just say, I, you know, a wish I think probably a lot of boys had. When I was younger, I wanted to be a baseball player. Obviously, that was not God's plan, but that was my wish. Now, let's say that truly is your wish, though, that that is what you want to do, is to grow up and be a baseball player. You can't just wish it into happening, right? There's some things that you've got to do. What's the first thing you need to do if you're going to be a baseball player professionally? You've got to learn how to play baseball, right? I mean, it's not going to do you much good if you don't. So let's say that's the first step. Our first star here represents that first step of learning how to play baseball. So I'm taking that first step. I'm wishing it. I'm hoping it, but I'm actually going to take that first step of learning how to play baseball. But now, I've I've joined a team. Maybe I'm on the rec league now, but am I done yet? No, I'm not done. What else do I need to do? you got to improve, which requires what? Practice. Practice makes perfect. That's true for anything, whether it's, it's sports, it's music, acting, you know, or, or, or a job that you have, you've got to, to learn how to do that job, and you've got to continue to work at that job. So that's another step in the process. I'm going to practice. I'm going to, I'm going to continue, or I'm going to develop the disciplines needed to become an expert. I'll tell you, there's nothing quite as pressure-filled as trying to tie a knot in front of an audience. I'm getting there, though. Y'all hang with me. So I'm, I'm learning how to play baseball, and now I'm developing some habits, some disciplines, and, you know, some fundamentals, right? But let's say, you know, I, I join a team, and I play, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm learning the habits, I'm learning the disciplines, but let's say, you know, part of, part of one of those things, training, is running every day. But I wake up one morning, and it's, you know, 20 degrees outside. If I'm truly going to reach my goal of becoming a professional baseball player, what does my response to that 20 or 10 or, you know, we were in Columbia last week. I think the low one night was seven. I mean, if, if, what's my response going to be if I truly want to become what I wish to be? I'm going to go outside and practice anyway, right? I'm going to bundle up. I'm going to put on... Tra- <laughs> But for, for the purposes of my illustration, John, we're going to run outside today, okay? I appreciate that, though. You could, 
either way, you're going to run, right? You're going to, here's the lesson. You're going to find a way. Even if it's 30 below outside, you may not need to run in 30 below. You'll go buy a tray. You will find a way to exercise. And so what are we talking about here? When things get tough, when it becomes difficult, what are we talking about when we keep pressing forward? What's the, what's the word there? Perseverance or endurance. I'm going to endure. And there are several steps. You know, you've got to have some talent. You've got to develop that talent. And we're going to keep going. And there's, you know, several things. Regardless of what you wish for, here's my point. And I, as I tie on, and we'll, we'll end with this last one here because I'm just tired of tying knots. But here's my point. You know, before we get started here, we've just got a, a, a star falling from the sky. There's nothing, you know, that's it's miraculous and beautiful when you see something like that. We're making a wish, but it's just a wish. But once you put it all together, man, it's, it actually becomes it's steps that you take. It starts with a desire, which God gives us if we seek him, right? If he's got a plan for us and we seek him, he'll give us the desire. But just wishing it isn't going to make it happen. God could do it on his own without us. We've established that, but he chooses to involve us. And and that means we've got to take a step of obedience and learning about what that plan is. You want to learn how to play baseball, you've got to learn about who your creator is and what he's created you to do. And and this is your book right here. He teaches us through that. So we've got to commit ourselves to studying him. And then he's going to give you some disciplines that you need to follow, all of us, spiritual disciplines that we need to follow. You know, continuing to study, continuing in prayer. He's going to give you spiritual gifts. He created you with natural born abilities that he gave you. Both are to be used for his glory and for his service. And as we exercise those disciplines, we develop further into what he's called us to be. He uses that to mold us further into his image, and we reach closer to fulfilling his plan. But there are going to be days where it's not easy to do that. There are going to be days where you don't feel like getting out of bed and moving forward, practicing those disciplines, serving, because of whatever's going on in your life. There are going to be days when it's really hard, but those who fulfill the plans that God has for them are those who learn to endure even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult, who continue to press forward, even in the midst of obstacle, who continue to trust God, even when it seems like there's no reason to trust God. But when you put it all together, it is the plan that God has for you. It's complete. And we won't see all of what that is until either he brings us home or he comes back. Right? But each day we pursue relentlessly and if you will discover initially what that plan is you will discover it's it's something worth dying for it's something worth giving everything for but you got to know him to know that plan let's go before the lord in prayer father we we do believe that your your plan is what's best we do believe that you created us with purpose There may be some today that are just hearing that for the first time, Lord. They are just now learning that you created them for a purpose. But it's still true. You are intentional. You are a God who does not make mistakes. You are perfect, and and no human being is a mistake. 
Every person in this room, every person watching, you designed them with a purpose in mind. And the only way we can discover what that is is by knowing you personally and a relationship with you intimately. And there may be somebody here today or who's watching that doesn't have that personal relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would would draw them to yourself in this moment. That you, your Holy Spirit, would fill them and convict them of sin and and show them that, that you sent your son Jesus. Jesus, God became flesh. You came and dwelt among us and you lived a perfect sinless life and died a sacrificial death, taking on our sin so that we could be free from sin. And if we will invite you into our lives, if we will confess our sin, if we will believe that you are truly who you are and that that you died for our sins, if we will give our lives, submit to you, and accept that gift, we can be saved and free from sin. If we will believe that you are alive today, that you've been raised from the dead, we can be saved. Well, there may be somebody who needs to just pray that prayer right now, inviting you into their lives. They don't have to have all the answers. They just have to listen to your voice as you call them and respond in obedience. Or there may be some here today, they're not experiencing your plan because they're not living in obedience. They're not following you. They're not pursuing you. They're not walking in fellowship. They need to recommit their lives to you and start over today in pursuing you daily, submitting daily. For those of us pursuing you, I pray that you would give us strength. We need your strength from day to day. We need your power. We need your presence We need to hear your voice. We need to be filled and strengthened by you. Lord, I pray that you would truly give us the endurance that we need to complete the plan, the task that you've given us. Lord, just speak to our hearts in this moment. Show us how to respond to your word, and I pray that we would respond faithfully. For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?